looking forward to talking again to Nikki Segnet. We interviewed her in 2019, and I think we laughed through the whole interview. <laughs> we had such a good time connected. Um, Nikki, you're in London, and um, uh, Peter says that you, you live in an area that's on the British version of Monopoly. Called the Angel. I Islington. do. I live. <laughs> live in the pub, Angel right? of Islington. Uh, uh, it, it is a pub. pub. Yeah. Um, well, you've you've come out with another book. The, the the original version of this book was the Flavor Thesaurus, and this is a sequel. Um, and you you weren't really going to write a sequel sequel, but you had so many questions from people asking for different flavors and different. Um, ingredients and so on so you kind of got pushed into writing this one um is that how i make it sound in the introduction i mean i i kind of i got lured into it shall we say more than pushed because i don't think anyone would ever accept writing a book like this unless they actually wanted to a bit but yes i um the first flavor of the thesaurus is a book about how 99 ingredients kind of work with each other and which ones are the best flavor matches and i left out things like zucchini, zucchini. green beans <laughs> lentils yeah i call them courgettes but you call them zucchini um, <laughs> and and there were just so many things that either we have kind of gluts of because they grow really readily or ingredients that had were, were perhaps a little bit more niche when i was writing the first edition back in 2008 or the first volume, I should say. They're two completely different books. So uh, there, were just, there was a lot of scope to write about a lot more ingredients. So is that the main difference? Because your format is similar to the original, right? The format is exactly the same. So you get um, a back index, which gives uh, alphabetically a list of, I think this one is 92 ingredients in the new one. And you can look up the ingredient and it will give you a list of the best matches or the most interesting matches for that ingredient. And then a page reference too. So if you want to know a little bit more, you want to know, you know, maybe it's a bit of a lucky dip what you get, but it might be flavor science. It might be tasting notes. It might be a little recipe or some serving suggestion. It's a, you know, it's a real treasury. It's a little reference book to get, you know, get your ideas going. No, you... You, you were, this book is called, I guess you call it, Plant Forward, not vegan and not vegetarian. But did you come by that naturally, or how did you arrive at that decision to focus on, on plant food? Well, yeah, the only thing that I hadn't covered that was sort of in the meat fish area for the first, in the first book was duck. And cool. so I ended up with a list of all the things that I wanted to write about, and they were all plants to start with. And so I thought, oh, well, this will be a vegan book. And I worked on it for about three weeks, and then I realized it was not going to be a vegan book because <laughs> it didn't really suit my, it didn't suit my subject. And my subject is very, you know, the book is about flavor. It's very, very um, focused on that subject because no one really writes about it and I really want to kind of introduce people to their palates and to different tasting notes and get them to really kind of 
have a sensory perception of all these ingredients. So what was happening with the vegan thing is I was explaining different kind of, you know, vegan techniques or different kind of vegan food, you know, uh, ingredient substitutions. And it all got, it was getting in the way of what I really love to write about, which is flavor. So I added in eggs, uh, yogurt, uh, yogurt, um, uh, honey and cheese. And that kind of freed me up and off we went. So it's definitely <laughs> plant-led. It's, it's not vegan. It's not vegetarian. But it does kind of, it, it gives a lot of love to plants. It, it, um, you know, one of the things I say in the introduction is that uh, some studies have found that when people write about um, meat and fish in, on menus or in kind of food writing, they're very lavish with the kind of descriptors for meat and fish. <laughs> and when it comes to plants, people tend to say things about how good they are for you or how good they are for the planet. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, with this book, I really wanted to kind of explore what they're like and their character and what their texture is and what their flavor is and you know all the capture some of their beauty and also some of their quirkiness well the, the, your descriptions are, are very literary so i mean it, it's a talent you have i'm not sure that it's inherent in just the, all these different ingredients well i mean that's the fun bit for me i suppose is that you know when i sit down to write it I want to you know it's a it's it's a bit like a game isn't it just trying to describe what something is like and to relate that to somebody else in a way that entertains them and that they can enjoy and maybe it it takes their appreciation a little bit further or perhaps sometimes and I think this is okay is for them to say oh no that's not what I that's not how I see it I see it completely differently but sometimes it's easier to kind of form your own idea when someone else goes first and ventures their opinion first. I think you, you touch on something that everybody should understand. Um, your literary style, your approach, um, reflect a very sharp wit, and, and it's a fun book as well as anything else. I mean, it's not, it's not um, dogmatic. or A lot of these um, plant-forward cookbooks we've been getting are totally dogmatic. I mean, they're just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I mean, know I why we, do they have to be so dry. You know, I never understood that. Well, I, I don't know either, but and, and I suppose I don't know. Maybe they have. Uh, you know, there is a feeling of like wanting to convert people, and that tends to come with a rather dogmatic oh, yeah, right. kind of character, right? And so, but I, I'm not looking to convert people because I, you know, this came part and parcel with the understanding that this was not a vegan book. The, uh -huh. the understanding that the people that have bought um, the first Flavor Thesaurus and Lateral Cooking are people who really love cooking and they're really interested in the subject of, you know, whether it's flavor or with lateral cooking, whether it's form. They're very interested in it. They want to kind of pop the trunk and have a look underneath and understand a bit more about what's going on. So I can talk to those people in, I suppose, what I would consider like a peer-to-peer -peer way. I'm doing the same as them. I'm interested yeah. in what's going on in the kitchen. And as far as I'm concerned, you're sitting there with me. Maybe we have a glass of wine, you know, yeah. and we're, you know, we're doing what we love. We're making a meal. Now, what, what, is, what, is, what are some of the ingredients that you really love? And you say, if the, if the world didn't, didn't have these, 
then it would be a miserable place to live. <laughs> well, I mean, I love broad beans, and we're uh, just at the beginning of the broad beans. Do you call them fava beans? They call broad beans where I come from too, just like you. <laughs> oh, are they? <laughs> and, they're, and they're kind of furry on the inside. Yeah, well, they just have the most fantastic. Yes, exactly. They come in this lovely duvet, all snuggled up under kind of big, thick duvet <laughs> pods. Um, and you can eat them when they're, they're really you know, young. You can eat. They're really, they're really uh, tough to to. We we have a um, a greengrocer that you get them fresh. And I did that for a while, but it, it was so much work getting them, uh, getting them shelled and peeled and all that stuff. I just thought it was easier. Oh, and getting them done. you've got to sit there with a glass of you know, a nice, very dry white wine, maybe a little pecorino, and you're good. You know, you just got to like it says in the book. You know, you've got to think of it as father therapy. You know, it's just very enjoyable thing to do. Sit down and pot, shell the beans and yeah. just kind of relax. Um, other things I would add to my wonderful list, I love lentils. I love gooseberries. Can I, get gooseberries? I love lentils. You love gooseberries. We, we can't find gooseberries anymore. <laughs> They've practically died out in the United States. Well, you know, it's we tried growing that... them, but we, no matter, we couldn't out with the birds. We just couldn't. We had netting. We That's had all it. kinds of stuff. The birds knew exactly that is what, when. Oh, you tried the netting. They, they, we, we tried growing them. The, the birds knew which and when <laughs> ripening was I, I, happening. Right. That has happened with, with my parents, and what they did is they basically just started to pick them before the birds started to eat them. So they would kind of avail themselves of these <laughs> really, really inedible berries. Yeah, I know. We did that with blackberries for a while. And that was not, that's not a good experiment. <laughs> yeah, the Tell sharpest us, crumbles in town. I, I refer to this um, circle, segmented, segmented circle of yours as a... Um, a a flavor wheel, um, and the, you have different titles for each of these things. Um, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about that? Like you have sour fruity, a floral fruity. Um, what are some of the other ones you have? Uh, spicy, woodsy. Talk to us a little bit about how you organize this. Yeah, so the idea for the flavor of the source originally came from Roger's Thesaurus. And anybody who knows Roger's Thesaurus knows it's a book of synonyms, a treasury of synonyms. Uh, and one of the things that's really, really lovely about it is that it's... I'm looking right at a copy right now across my desk. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you, I mean, it's a very enjoyable, browsable book for people who love words. And it's organized in philosophical themes, which you don't necessarily notice immediately. But, of course, by doing that, it takes you to adjacent words that maybe are better expressing the idea that you had or they take you to a slight, you know, slight tangent of the idea that you are kind of trying to express. So it's a very enriching book, a very enjoyable book. And I think I wanted the Flavor Thesaurus to be organized in a way like that that wasn't an A to Z, uh, which is not quite, it doesn't have the same kind of creative fire as uh, something like philosophical themes. So I... Um, so anyway, as I was researching the book, I came across in a flavor 
um, uh, textbook for flavor scientists, A Flavor Wheel. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about it much until towards the end of writing the first book, I realized that I had learned so much about the flavors that I could organize them in a 360 degree spectrum where you know by understanding a little bit about what's going on at a molecular level you know where say for example basil and cinnamon and clove all have like very similar spicy flavors to them you can start sort of putting them next to each other so they kind of one flows into the next Mm -hmm. now of course nature is not so neat that it's completely perfect but if you read the text of the whole book you kind of understand why things are where they are and then what I do is I, I segment them into little families so that um, for example we have flower and meadow in the new book and that includes buckwheat which runs into oat which runs into corn which runs into honey and then that next is floral fruity and that's tomato pomegranate then cranberry and gooseberry then lychee and elderflower and it's amazing how you know when 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 you those flavors they don't necessarily say for example lychee is tropical fruit and um and gooseberry is a cold weather fruit but they have a very similar kind of flavor to them um as with lychee and elderflower there must when be because when you get these when you get these uh, the group and and i look through them it turns out that all the, the things i like are actually grouped together so there must be a commonality there Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm always very on it. You know, if people say to me, is this like the color wheel? I'm like, oh, God, if I could, you know, if I could create the color wheel for flavors, I would be a billionaire. But um, no, this is it's very much about organizing the book, making the book interesting. Maybe, yes, exactly. If you say, well, I really like those, you know, spicy, woody flavors. Um, you know, get delving into that section and seeing if there's any inspiration for perhaps, you know, some cookies that you want to make. And it's all about kind of, um, someone once said to me, the books are a bit like those choose your own adventure books that we buy for children <laughs> where you can kind of like turn to this page. And that's how I, you know, how I see people using the books. I think that's why chefs use them and people who go, you know, like, I don't know if you have the Great British Bake Off there, but those kind yeah, of cookery we, contests are, are on those TV shows. A lot of people yeah. use the Flavorosaurus for, like, for their menus for that kind of thing. Uh, now, now, from just things you've said and written and so forth, you have a lot of interaction with your readers, don't you? How do you get this? Well, I mean, how does everyone get it? It's all on the old social media, isn't it? So I do... I, I, I did say... I'll do Twitter because my publisher said you have to do one or the other. And I said, well, I'm a writer. I'll do Twitter and very quickly <laughs> found that frightening. <laughs> so I am on Instagram as at Nikki Segnet. And uh, yeah, I always talk, you know, talk to people well, but there, they, but also do events. I, I, I think that food of all things, I mean, I, I have a whole group of friends that we sort of tended to, to go out and, eat together in restaurants and stuff. And um, people get so opinionated about food. I mean, you must run into a lot of pushback from your your selections. Um, Do you know, I really, I don't, because I think perhaps the book is, is, as you say, because it's not dogmatic. It doesn't say, I'm right. It isn't uh, 400 pages of my own opinions. So what I do is I 
you know, I look for any kind of interesting comments about things that go together or things that I've picked up that I particularly like that chefs do to include. So there's, you know, the bibliography run to pages and pages at the back because I am making sure that the, 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 the book reflects a lot of voices, a lot of cultures. It's kind of, it's wide in its approach and not kind of one person because otherwise it you know a I don't like all of these things that are in the book but I you know it, it needs to it needs to appeal to lots of people and the first flavor the store sold 300,000 copies in this country so wow. I think I take that as and I think it's done quite well in the USA and it does very well in Italy and uh, and in Spain and in France. So in, it's kind of quite successful in foodie cultures that are quite different to my own. You but know, you, I mean, you're very fond of Indian food. I love Indian food, yes, I do. Now tell me why. Um, well, well, I mean, I, I love it too, so. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I think I love it is I like... Um, I like eating quite a lot of plants. I like um, vegetarian food. And I often feel that Indian um, cuisine is the best when it comes to creativity. I mean, some of the things, there's a, I think a recipe at lentil and yogurt in this new book. And it's just astounding that like the processes that you can go through to kind of take those basic ingredients. You know, how I think my mother would think of lentils and yogurt and see what you know what <laughs> yeah. an Indian mother would make of lentils and yogurt, like fashioning them into dumplings and making sauces from the yogurt. And, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's incredible that they can take, you know, uh, that section of, you know, of pulses and vegetables and, you know, not, you know and just do such vastly different things with it. Yeah, and I then agree. And the spices. Yeah. And what? And then the and, spices, of course. Oh, of course, the spices. And, and yeah, the the whole we've interviewed a lot of um, spice business people, um, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just the, I guess it's the the result of the pandemic. Everybody started cooking more, and everybody started looking for differences and more excitement and and spice trade has just just gone bonkers over the moon you know oh is that right oh yes there's so many um companies now um yeah and and i'm finding out like um i never would think of afghanistan as as a mother load of spices and yet we get so many spices from um, Afghanistan, including, of course, right. the, the king, Saffron. Um, but, um, yeah, because one of these companies is owned by a guy who was, he's married to um, an Afghanistan woman. And he also um, spent time, I think, in the Peace Corps or something like that in Afghanistan. And so he has direct lines to small producers. And he brings in all these spices that are just miles away from what you would get by a, a large manufacturer producer in the states. Interesting. Yeah. I have yeah. today tried to find. I mean, I, I'm sure it won't take me too long to find it, but I was just shopping for some Sri Lankan cinnamon, and I couldn't find it. I'm going to have to, you know, go 
cast my net a bit wider but you know everywhere that I went was trying was selling cassia that much kind of stronger simpler yeah, I know what it is, type yeah. of cinnamon yeah exactly but I really want I want some Sri Lankan stuff so I'm going to have to well why don't you, you know, check out check out this this guy it's called burlap and barrel and they have you'd you'd be interested in their newsletter too they put out a, a newsletter i think weekly i'm not sure with all about spices and it's, you you would enjoy okay. it okay burlap and barrel spelled out all the just letters. writing that dot com uh-huh yeah and so tell, anyhow tell, now tell them all tell them already sent you Oh, right. <laughs> we we have them on our show regularly because, I mean, I never knew there were so many spices available, really. Uh, and now another trend is collaborations between companies producing um, variations using spice. And, well, yeah. it's a long story. <laughs> but now... Um, you learn something new every time you do one of these books, I'm sure. I mean, what what are the new things you learned? And maybe even some things you learned fresh and different from your first book. Uh, well, I mean, in, I t- do tend to kind of immerse myself in the subject. So uh, I learned a lot about tofu, which I've always kind of liked, but I didn't feel like I knew very much about it. So I learned how to make it. Um, and that was a very interesting process. I'm not sure that I will be giving up writing to become a tofu well, no, maker. Tell me again what it is you're talking about. What? Uh, making tofu from scratch. To- oh, from you're not going to make your own tofu, I see. <laughs> yeah. So mm. I, made some, I made some of my own tofu. Um, I didn't make my own miso, but I'm, probably, I'm sure I probably should have. I'm, I'm really um, I, into miso. I, you know... It, you know, you buy it, it costs so much, I can see why people would start making it. Uh, what's your favorite miso combination? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I had a, a, a white miso that I ate with a spoon onto the jar. <laughs> so much I love yeah. it. Yeah. Now, give, give, give away yeah. your, your little secret. Uh, our favorite tofu is tofu you can make. It comes in a powder in a little package. It only takes two minutes to make. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's miso. The miso I have to buy. Oh, miso. Oh, my soup. Oh, you're oh, talking about my broth. Dried. No, no. It's, he's, I, I use um, a, a miso broth for vegetables, which um, just helps everything a lot. Mm. So, you know, I don't know what you use for liquid if you want to roast something, but if, if you try doing it and you add a little of this miso broth into the roasting pan, everything tastes better. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, um, we have a, a local chef who who does all of this. He has a food lab in his restaurant, and he does all of this. I don't know where he finds the time or the patience to deal with it all, but <laughs> he does. Uh, so we, we love going there. Um, but it's everything like I have, um, what is I have Jerusalem artichokes that never go away in my garden. You know, once you yeah. plant them, you, you never can get rid of them. And right. uh, 
he does the most amazing things with them. I had no idea that you could do. Here's some new thing we're supposed to go taste, having to do with venison and Jerusalem artichokes, and uh, he ferments everything in his lab. And <laughs> does that make them digestible? I don't know. what It makes them taste really good. I don't know. Okay. So, so anyhow, um, what what combinations do people object to, if any, in your book? Well, the one that I've had quite a lot of fun talking about and taking around some tastings is the combination of coffee and yogurt. Right. And I get very different responses to that because we don't have coffee yogurts in the yogurt fixture in the in the stores here. You don't. No, do you? I don't know. I've never looked for it. (laughs) I I don't like um, tofu. You know why I don't like tofu? Is you usually get it, it's all greasy, the way they fix it. People in restaurants fix it in really horrible ways. Do you find that okay? I mean, I just can't stand it. Um, Tofu, no. I, 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 I don't tend to have it fried i tend to buy we have i think we've had a little bit of a tofu revolution here so we have one person who has been to japan and learned how to make it beautifully who makes artisan tofu called clean bean here in london and if you're lucky yeah it's great and um there's also some other kind of there are some very decent tofu brands that we can get widely so i tend to i tend to um do stuff with it that isn't deep frying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why um, they. I think they seem to deep fry it all the time. That's greasy. Well, take a look at the tofu chapter, Anne, and see if there's something there that grabs you. Apparently, if you can find the good stuff, um, you know, the way to taste it is, you know, very, very simply. Well, we actually have a, a Japanese grocery store in our neighborhood. I could probably find it there. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like um, you know, it's a bit like learning any kind of art. Really, you have to, you know, maybe get yourself into the right mindset. Sit there very quietly, make yourself a very beautiful cup of green tea, and yeah, I sit love there green and tea. just cut it, cut it into cubes, and just uh, eat the tofu with the green tea and appreciate the tofu's flavors. That's in stillness. A great advice. <laughs> Nikki, as always, it's great talking to you. And I'm I, I just amazed, absolutely amazed at the volume of work, research, and trying out things involved with this book, producing this book. It's, it's just, I don't know, you should get some kind of a big reward just for producing this. <laughs> great. Could you organize that for me? Yeah, I'll, I'll have to do that. It. <laughs> but meanwhile, I, I hope you have as much, if not more, success with this and the original flavor of this thesaurus. And uh, I, I welcome the chance to explore more in detail in this book. I mean, to use it actually in, in, in cooking and stuff. So, um, hello to everybody in, in London for us. And we, yes, we hear occasionally from Jeremy by. Lee. Jeremy Lee, we we hear from him occasionally. He's he's very well, social. Yeah, and he's he's very brilliant. And his book was 
just like the big book of last year, right? Right. Right. He's wonderful. Okay, and we we haven't been to uh, London for a while, so we're due. So um, okay. if they would if they would just kind of slow down the the, the cancellations and the flights, that would help me a lot. <laughs> Okay, well, look, if you do come, let me know, okay? Well, I would. I would indeed. It would be so much fun. Okay. I then think so, I, too. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I let me know. Give me a heads up when your next book comes out. <laughs> I will you, do. Thank you so much for inviting me again. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it was great. When I saw you had this new book, and I was really excited. Thank you again and again and again, Nikki. (laughs) Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. You know, I was just talking uh, to our guest, Visada Viswanath, uh, about saying I thanked her for writing this book. I mean, we all know vegetarian uh, cooking and eating is the, 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 the hot thing going now for various reasons, but I've had so many friends and relatives uh, who have decided to go vegetarian for whatever reason and they end up eating all carbs and getting fat. <laughs> now, on, on the other hand, we did interview somebody, a, a vegetarian cookbook author, who was from India, and so was her husband, and he was diabetic. And uh, she worked on this. Even She wasn't a chef or, or a nutritionist or anything, but she, she worked into, uh, out uh, a, a way of, of doing the traditional Indian classical dishes um, mm-hmm. with 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 low carbs, and yeah. and he went from diabetic. She told me, by the way, that India is the is the diabetic capital of the universe. It is. Um, it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who would think? But he went from having daily insulin to being free of insulin by eating her food so it matters That's incredible yes. yes definitely so i was very impressed with that she's in california well anyhow yeah, here's you your know, book i think i might know who you're talking about but um yeah it's uh it's it's definitely you know i i i hope uh many vegetarians around the world get a wake-up call oh yeah i think so um, but anyhow, so I thank you for this book, and I w- I'm very impressed with it. And I think that anybody trying to eat a vegetarian lifestyle in part or altogether should absolutely read this book called The Vegetarian Reset, subtitled 75 Low-Carb Plant-Forward Recipes from Around the World. And I, I want to emphasize the last part of there is there's no reason why um, you have to include all these around the world, these global recipes, except for the fact that you have, by your own admission, been a, a food fanatic for your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, I mean, yeah, I tell think, us about I when you were they, five. 
<laughs> Tell us that yeah, story about I when have, you were five. Uh, I come from a family of foodies, so I think um, it was just genetically transmitted. Uh, even today, I can have some very healthy debates with my mom and dad and my sister about what's for dinner and what's for lunch. <laughs> um, and, you know, they tell me, I don't remember this very well, but they tell me that when I was uh, four or five, I used to demand to know what was in my lunchbox the night before school and if it if it wasn't what I wanted I wouldn't go and um, I think I just kind of carried that that trait with me um, all through and so I've always been uh, obsessed with food I've always enjoyed cooking I um, I started cooking when I was fairly young and um, even as a child my, my parents would encourage it and uh, I would love to bake and, and cook different things. Um, and I continued on this journey um, and moved to the U.S. Uh, over a decade ago for, for grad school. And um, when, when I finished my master's program and moved to New York City, I was just... You know, the the city has so much to offer in terms of global cuisine. And so my oh, yeah. husband and I are both foodies, so we would eat out so often before our daughter was born uh, or order in. And even today, it's probably our most favorite thing to do in the city. Um, and so I've always, you know, really cherished uh, getting to know these these other cuisines and cultures. We we traveled also uh, a fair bit, and so it was always kind of how um, I I really enjoyed getting to know all of these cultures around the world that that cooked. Uh, sometimes similar foods and sometimes different foods, and and you know I, I, I rejoiced whenever I found a common element, and I uh, also celebrated when I found something unique. Uh, but I would say there's also another reason I wanted this book to have a global theme, and um, I think people start to equate when you start to say you need to eat healthy. People start to think, you know, steamed vegetables, raw salads, uh, green smoothies, basically just bland, boring food. And especially when it comes to vegetarianism. And so I, I really wanted to show people that it is possible to eat healthy and eat delicious. And you can eat foods from your own culture or other cultures, if you like, and taste all of these different exciting flavors and spices. And, uh, you know, when you eat whole foods, I think your palate just becomes more finely attuned to those flavors. And um, you, you start to appreciate them so much more. And so this is really... I think, I hope it serves as a source of inspiration, even if somebody finds that their particular cuisine is not included in the book, I hope it gives them ideas on how to adapt. Well, I mean, I think it's a marvelous success, and I mean, it's so based in common sense, that's the thing that always, it eludes me why people can't put two and two together to understand if they're eating all this other stuff. and They're going to put on the LBs, you know what I mean? And get things like diabetes. I mean, it's just not healthy, the kind of food that most people eat. And it's not even just diabetes. Today, these underlying conditions that lead to diabetes 
also lead to a whole host of other chronic diseases, including heart disease and even brain disease. And, yes. you know, I think there is the, the marvelous thing about it is that even though medicines cannot help you reverse the disease, diet and lifestyle changes can. And I think uh, people are slowly begin, beginning to understand that, but, you know, it's not uh, fast enough for me. Well, you have this nice graphic in, in the introduction uh, where you have, it's called the trilemma of vegetarianism. How, can you explain that verbally as well as just graphically? Yes, of course. So in the introduction, I have this uh, Venn diagram with, with three overlapping circles and, and one um, spot in the middle that's where they intersect, and I call that the sweet spot. Um, so this, this, this whole puzzle, I call it, and it's quite a mouthful, but I call it the culinary trilemma of vegetarianism. And uh, for me, it's, it's really just a simple but ambitious question that I pose to myself. Can I be a vegetarian, a foodie, and still eat healthy? And people assume that if you're vegetarian, then you can't be a foodie. Sometimes, not not always, but I think the perceived brand of vegetarianism is that, you know, you're you've kind of subjected yourself to a lifetime of misery eating salads. But um, then I know that's not true, right? We we can eat all sorts of delicious foods, but at the same time, a lot of those options, like you just noted, revolve around carbs and refined carbs and added sugar, and all of that excessive starch and sugar is not good for us. So then right. the question becomes, can we eat vegetarian and be foodies but still eat healthy? And so that is the intersection of those three puzzles is really what I try to solve in the book. And um, I hope the, the book is, you know, a good uh, first attempt. Now, I, I told you the story of, of the cookbook by um, an Indian um, vegetarian um, author uh, whose husband mm -hmm. had acute diabetes and was on daily insulin, and how mm -hmm. she took the traditional recipes um, that he loved so much, uh, the Indian yeah. recipes, and made her own substitutions and actually got him off his dependency for insulin. Now, what are some yeah. of the things that you recommend doing that, that would move in that direction? I mean, you're... you're contents are pretty straightforward. You wouldn't know it was a vegetarian cookbook because you could do breads, rice, pasta, noodles, salads, soups and lentils, eggs, small plates, plates, smoothies, desserts. And, you know, just pick a couple of those categories and tell us little things you can do to, to make a big difference. How about bread? You start with bread. For sure. For sure. So, great question, first of all. And so, with breads, you know, today breads are, we are so used to eating these light, fluffy breads made from all-purpose flour, which has little to no fiber. Right. Um, and we have basically eliminated all of the most nutritious parts of the grain when we grind it into a flour that's exactly. fine and, and remove all of the bran and germ. So um, when it comes to bread, I would start with, you know, if, if you want to, take it one step at a time, I would say start with real whole wheat. Uh, if you can find it, 
but um, it's hard to find because today, particularly in the U.S., uh, real whole wheat is, is hard to come by. There's, you you there's say all that kinds of what they involved. label, what they label is, yeah. is whole wheat isn't even real whole wheat here. It isn't because they can just, they can, so what often manufacturers do is, is grind it, uh, I mean, turn it into all-purpose flour and then add back some of the bran. Um, and then if, if you do that, then, then you can, I think, technically call it whole wheat. Maybe I don't have the specifics fully correct here, but I think the gist is accurate. And so uh, you're still missing, you know, that, that nutritional matrix. So anyway, what, what can you do? I think you can replace uh, wheat flour with some uh, really great alternatives. So in my chapter, Breads, I use uh, chickpea flour and blanched almond flour a whole lot. Um, I love chickpea flour. I love chickpeas. Have you ever seen them grow? You know, they they grow in little twins. Two, two. They grow like in little pods, two to a pod, like twins. <laughs> yeah, oh, that I'm sounds delightful. Them. And and um, uh, and now I I must see them now now that you mention it. Um, but chickpea flour is basically just ground chickpeas. So. Uh, you know, it's a very minimally processed flour, if you can call it a flour. And it has a great, you know, pretty strong flavor, and we use it a fair bit in Indian cuisine. So I decided to use it in some non-traditional ways in the book. Um, it has more protein and fiber than, than all-purpose flour. And then blanched almond flour is basically ground almonds, but without the skin. So it's ground very fine. Um, it still has, it's, it's very low carb because it's just made from nuts and it has a lot of protein and it still retains a lot of the fiber even though the skin is gone. And, um, you know, when, uh, when, when you bake with uh, whole unprocessed gluten-free flours like this, often your breads may turn out to be uh, quite a bit more dense than uh, what you might be used to consuming baked products as. Which but, I like. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. You will learn to appreciate <laughs> and relish that is exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I, I love a good, you know, hearty, dense loaf. Like, you know, it's like bread like it means it. And you only need a little yeah. bit and it's so satiating. Yes. No, we, 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 just, we just interviewed somebody from Korea. Oh, and their, mm-hmm. and their, their specialization is is in in not not removing all the nutrition from the rice, that, which is a major starch in their diet. Mm-hmm. If, if you remember that, sweetheart. And what did, what did they, yeah, we, well, the thing that amazed me was that you, you really need to store it. It's, it was the guy who owns a Korean deli. Um, in in um, is it Brooklyn? I'm trying to remember. But at any rate, you, you, he insists on freshness of the rice and so um not only is it minimally processed um but it's you keep it fresh in the refrigerator you don't leave it on your dry goods shelf and it's really different uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's great to hear that's great to hear yeah so now i mean can i mention that you also have for each recipe, I mean, you take the guesswork out of it. You have a little graphic where you list the calories, 
the protein yes. and the carbs. <laughs> yes, people don't yes. really know. Yeah, and, you know, not everyone wants to see that. Some people just want to eat the food and not worry about the numbers. And that's fine. You can ignore that little graphic. But I think a lot of people um, are trying to, you know, they're trying to hit at least a protein target for the day. Or, uh, you know, today I think there's more awareness about gut health and eating more fiber. So maybe they're trying to uh, up their fiber intake. Um, so I think it's it's provided to be helpful and, and, and make readers informed. But... Um, it's certainly not there for people to obsess about. Uh, you know, we, I think we ought to put up front that these recipes that you've listed uh, also um, are concerned with deliciousness. I mean, I'm looking right here at the injera uh, recipe, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know, I'm glad that you include things like Ethiopian cuisine. And the, walking into an Ethiopian restaurant, you're going to get injera because you will order it and with all the toppings and so forth and so on. But I think you're kidding yourself if you think that that's going to be low carb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, Ethiopian cuisine I actually have come to really love because um, it is uh, flavors-wise, it, it's very close to Indian cuisine. And um, injera is a sourdough that uh, kind of resembles the dosa of, of South India. So um, I, I, I do really enjoy it. Um, sometimes I struggle, and with, uh, you know, just, just kind of outright saying that, you know, eating, eating uh, some traditional sourdoughs is, might might not be great for you. I, I don't know the, the full answer to that, but it is true that it would be higher carb than the type of, of uh, bread that I propose in the book. Right. Um, it's also much harder to make. I think, you know, you oh, would yes. have to read a, a book uh, written by an, an Ethiopian uh, expert and, and learn how to make it. Yeah, um, I've never made it, to be honest. Uh, me neither. I, I actually have a book sitting on my bookshelf. I've been meaning to try some recipes from it, but I haven't gotten a chance. Um, but, but yeah, the chickpea crepe that I use in the recipe, what I wanted to do with the book is to have a couple of staple recipes, you know, that can be used in a lot of different ways. So the chickpea crepes are one. You, you can use them um, as a substitute for the Indian roti or to make a quesadilla or to make uh, injera, right? And, um, and, and the seem really bread fond is of, another one. You, you seem really fond of soca pizza. Tell us. Our readers about that. Yes, <laughs> I so, really love uh, that. So I uh, visited the south of France uh, a few years ago, maybe about five or six years ago at this point, um, and I was actually—I mean, we'd been to Paris before, and there is not a whole lot of vegetarian French food available outside <laughs> of you know bread and cheese. So, um, I mean, of course, you can get other cuisines in in the city, and we were fine. But uh, I was expecting more of the same when when we went to the south of France. But 
South of France, I don't know, maybe because of its proximity to Italy, it has uh, a lot more uh, focus on, on vegetarian food. And so every little cafe that we went to would have, uh, you know, even often a vegetarian section on its menu, which I found really great. And often we would have soca. So it's a chickpea flour flatbread. Um, and so that's that's just how it's it's traditionally made. I haven't replaced it with anything. And um, it can be served on its own or it could be eaten, I don't know, with a dip or with some toppings. And so I use it in this uh, book to make a pizza. And the pizza topping is, is fairly unusual. I decided to skip the, the regular, uh, you know, red sauce and, and uh, make this really delicious sauce out of smoked eggplant. And uh, it's, it's actually really easy. You can do it in your oven or air fryer. Um, and um, it, it, it lends this delicious smoky flavor to, to the pizza and you add, add cheese and jalapenos. It's really good. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, well, it looks wonderful. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you, you do a lot with, with the traditional salads to make them healthier too. Like um, you have, the, I'm surprised to find you had some of these recipes in here, like the uh, caprese. I mean, and I wouldn't even think you'd need to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it's such a simple salad, right? I, yeah. um, I, I, I don't think people really need a recipe for that, but I did feel like. Um, you know, not every salad needs to be onerous, and, and you can enjoy some delightful fresh produce in the summer with some cheese and, and feel, and also know that, that you got uh, a high-protein uh, side to your meal. So I felt like it was worth kind of pointing out. Um, yeah. Waldorf the, salad. I haven't even heard of Waldorf salad in 40 years <laughs> Well, not that long. But. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, a little bit of an ode to New York City where I live. And um, so, yeah, I guess it was the Waldorf Hotel that, that uh, made it and popularized it. And my book has um, a, a slightly lower carb version of it where uh, instead of the grapes, I use raspberries that also add a pop of color, but they're just lower sugar. Um, And I use a high-protein mayo made with Greek yogurt. And that that one's actually really good, and it's really easy. And I use it all the time at home for for salads. Um, And it's a good one. Well, I think Peter, who's, who's from Yorkshire, uh, in the UK, mm-hmm. would would have take issue with your recipe for shepherd's pie. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, and I'm sorry if I offended you, Peter. <laughs> Does she have an unusual version? Well, yeah, but she has a low carb version of shepherd's pie. Yeah, yes. Some, some, somehow shepherd's pie was not was not intended to be low low carb. <laughs> I, I, I had a, an off the wall question and. And uh, if, if, if necessary, if you don't want to answer this question, we'll edit it out of the uh, out of the program. But there was, there was a, in fact, there still is, I guess, an, an Indian restaurant tour in New York called Mad, Madhur Jaffe. Yeah, 
Oh, manager. Mother Jaffrey, yeah. yeah. She's I, wonderful. I, I, wondered, I wondered if you knew her and what, what she thought of your book. <laughs> you know, I've actually met her uh, at, at a gathering. Uh, I don't know what she thinks of my book. Um, well, it wouldn't have been I, out. I certainly her. don't mean to offend anyone with, you know, <laughs> taking these recipes and, and uh, kind of making them my own in this book. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually really clear in the introduction when I talk about my food philosophy and I say that, listen, these recipes, they are not the most authentic representation of all of these dishes. And mm-hmm. they're yeah, not right. meant to be. Uh, in mm-hmm. some cases, maybe they, they are and, and they're not meant to be. But I, I just hope that I have maintained most of the flavor profile and that I have recreated some uh, really inspiring and and, uh, interesting lower carb versions for those who want them to also be able to experience these flavors. And I think if if I have been even a bridge to that cuisine uh, in some way for, for people who don't know it, um, I would be, I would be very proud. Well, you made it. You did that, I'm sure. And I, and I want to call attention to one other thing: is the, the inspiration, real, t- true inspiration, can be found in your section on basics, which I loved, very especially loved, mm-hmm. like yeah. your fresh tamarind paste and vegan bechamel sauce. I mean, these are things that people would die to, to get the inside scoop on how to do this, I think, which makes the book very worthwhile pursuing. So we you know, you're great to hear. <laughs> you remember one, one, one year we were at a, an event of, as part of the James Beard Award re- recognition stuff, and we, and we, we sampled... Indian food that was cooked by a lady who had an Indian restaurant in Houston. Oh, Texas. yeah, you love that, yeah, in Texas. And, and, the, and the, a main ingredient for one of her dishes was potatoes. Yeah. And I thought, my God, I, I never heard of potatoes in Indian food. And, and oh, really? No, we use it a whole lot. Yeah, they so, use them a lot. Well, I, I wanted you to pop that in there because I would, would hate people to say, but, but I'm Irish and I can't possibly use this book because there's no potato <laughs> recipes in it. Well, there is actually here. one recipe that, that uses potatoes. Um, I'm looking at celeriac <laughs> patatas bravas right now. <laughs> it's, uh, well, no, the patatas bravas, I actually use uh, celery root. Sorry, yep. <laughs> but okay. in, you um, did that with hikama, in the Olivier salad, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so with the Olivia salad, too. yeah, I do yeah. that with fries. I use hikama. And, yeah. But the recipe where I actually do use potato is uh, the Olivia salad, which is a Russian salad. It's, oh, right. I think it's the last salad in, in the salad section. Yeah, I, I saw and, that. And yeah. um, I use potato in that recipe because the, the recipe calls for chilling the salad overnight. And um, when you do that, actually, when you cook potato, 
and then cool it down for several hours before you eat it, it builds up something called resistant starch. Um, and resistant starch actually functions like fiber in your body. So, oh, nice. it, you know, it, it, it turns a fairly high glycemic load dish into a medium glycemic load. And, and so uh, that is one recipe that I use potato. I mean, I'm not against potatoes, you know. Um, I do consume oh, them no. myself. These are just, just wonderful substitutions for, for pasta. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm I have to admit, I've never really been that keen on uh, cauliflower substituted for pasta, but everybody else in the world seems to love it, and you do too. So I think you probably have something going there. Uh, and it's, it's, it's easy I mean, it's, to do, and I think your, your reasoning um, is that cauliflower picks up the other flavors as opposed yes. to some of these other substitutions yeah. that people use. Rita, my, my, if my memory serves me correctly, the potato dish that I loved so much, I think the spice in it was turmeric. Oh, it was turmeric. Yes. Turmeric, yeah. Yes, we well, use I mean, turmeric a lot, and you'll find a lot of it in the book, too. We, I, I like turmeric and everything. We do it with chicken soup. <laughs> of course, chicken soup. Yeah, that's a great idea. Vegetarian. Yeah, you know, when whenever you use turmeric, if you also add a little bit of black pepper, then uh-huh. it yeah. uh, it greatly increases the absorption of the primary ingredient in in turmeric. So that's I do that a, with green I, I tea. I that recently. Yeah, I, I do a green tea with black pepper and turmeric, and I can't even I'm bursting with healthfulness. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. I mean, it seems like you're you're really on top of it. Uh, well, listen again, uh, Vasuda. Uh, you your book is really worth people investing in. Uh, it's the vegetarian reset, and believe me, I think we need a reset. Whatever he views as vegetarian, which also takes into account um, the deliciousness, which is something that comes to you naturally since childhood. Um, thank you also uh, for talking to us. Thank you first for the book, and secondly for talking to us about it. Um, oh, anyhow, of course, thank you for having success. me on. I, I really enjoyed our chat with both of you. <laughs> Great. Okay, and uh, let us know when your next book's out. For sure, I will. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.